Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Can you hear me back there? That's good. Hey, my name is Brian. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor here and um, really glad to have you uh, here. Grace City at the Spaces. I don't know. Does that work? Should we use that? No? Okay. All right. We won't. Um, forgive me. Sorry. Uh, I, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I was thinking about this right before I came up, and then we'll kind of dive into our, the, the primary text that we'll be in uh, as we're starting a new series this Sunday. But um, I've been thinking about the last year and a half, and, and obviously it's, it's looked very different than any of us uh, would have ever anticipated. And I think um, I was kind of just thinking through that, right? And so there, there's essentially kind of two postures that you could take in the past year and a half that we've had together. Um, you, you could, uh, well, there may be more, but just in my mind, this is how I tend to think about the, the two postures that you could take. Um, you, you could take the kind of the posture of like consuming in this past year and a half, right? So it's like, I'm gonna eat too much, I'm gonna drink too much, I'm gonna watch too much Netflix, I'm going to, do you know what I mean? Like, you, like that's one of the postures that you could take, right? And maybe you're like, yeah, I was there. <laughs> there was a couple weeks, that's where I was. I was in a, I was in a posture of consuming, uh, of just kind of taking, right? I'm, I'm trying to just kind of medicate where I'm at. I'm medicating the sadness and the isolation, the difficulty of the season uh, that we're in. That is most certainly uh, a posture that you could take. I mean, it was a posture that I found myself kind of moving in and out of. I was like, I should probably put the bag of Doritos away, right? You know, kind of in that moment, you're like, I should get up off the couch and put pants on. And so that was kind of a posture that you could have in this season or or the other posture uh, that, that I think you could have. And I think this, this speaks towards where I want our church to be and, and where I want our people to be is, is a posture of contending, right? Of just saying, we're gonna push into the difficulty of the season. Um, we're gonna push into the difficulty of um, what it means to be someone following the way of Jesus in this season and in this city. And so I've just told, uh, I've just told our team, and, and Haley kind of mentioned it, uh, in the intro in terms of um, canceling the last two weeks because of weather. It's been such a strange uh, Boston. I don't know why I expected anything to be, even the weather, to be normal for 2021. Um, but, but I've just kind of said to our team over and over again, uh, and I, I want to say this as well, it's just kind of like a, let's have a little pastoral moment in a second. Uh, I, I just want us to contend as a church and just to say, man, we know the easy thing would be to just kind of go along and, and try to not think about things and self-medicate with whatever you self-medicate with. Um, but, but I want us to be a church that on the, on the other end of this thing just says, man, we were contending as hard as we could. And so we're, we're pressing into God, we're pressing into to prayer, we're pressing into community with one another, um, we're, we're pressing into worship, we're pressing into to silence and journaling and fasting. Like we're doing kind of, we're just gonna press into all of these things and then at the end of the season, we're just gonna trust God. And we're just gonna say, hey, we, we worked and contended and trusted and leaned into you as much as we could. And so thanks for being here. Thanks for being in this space as we just kind of navigate uh, what, what the heck we're gonna do, right? As a church, this is what we're doing. We're just kind of navigating um, in this space uh, currently. And so I just wanna say thanks for going along with us uh, as, we, as we tend to do this. And so, all right, let's, let's hop in. That was, like my, that was like my little mini sermon on the front of my normal. Uh, sermon. And so we're actually starting a new series. And so if you're new, this is the perfect time to get here. We're starting a new series 
uh, called He Is. And essentially what we're going to be doing is looking at, for the next few weeks, the character of God. And so how do we understand Him correctly, um, who He is, what is His character, uh, essentially what He is like. This is what we're going to be looking at, what He is um, like. I, I think we could probably all say with a level of confidence that kind of the day in which we live in, um, this idea of God is probably something that uh, a lot of people think about, uh, but their, their concept is kind of all over the place, right? I mean, we, we could probably all agree if you had a conversation with a friend or neighbor, maybe you have someone at your work, coworker, peer, classmate, uh, and you ask them uh, about God, they would probably say to you, uh, I've, or they probably wouldn't say to you, I've, I've actually never heard of him, or I've never even thought of that concept of God. Like if you said, hey, what do you think about God to someone? They would probably give you, uh, you know, they would say to you, uh, well, I don't believe that he exists, I, you know, or I believe in some type of kind of cosmic energy or I believe, right? Some would say, oh, I believe I'm a Christ follower. So I believe in um, the, the God of the Bible, the one that I trust. Some would say Allah, right? There, there's kind of all over the spectrum. People have an, an idea of God. And so the day and time in which we live, um, this idea of God is very different. Then, then say, say you ask someone that question, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, right? For the most part, if you said, God, there, there, may be, um, there may be some kind of foundational ground level stuff, we're at the same place. But where we're at probably the last 20 to 25, maybe 30 years, is this idea of God is kind of all over the place. Um, and, and the concepts are, are very different than what we can understand. And so we wanna take the next few weeks to say, okay, who is the God that we actually believe in? And what is he like? Not, not what does he, hear this, not what does he require, but what is he like? Now that's nuanced, right? It's not what does he want from you or what does he desire for you to do, but it's who is he? What is he like? And, and allow that to serve as kind of this groundational, foundational level for us that we can then build, um, then we can uh, build upon and begin to live out uh, the begin to live out the way of Jesus. And so when I was in college, I read this statement uh, by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Maybe you've read him before. He's a theologian, pastor back in the day. And so I remember getting this book in college, um, a couple of different books. His probably most well-known book is called Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, he also wrote The Pursuit of God, The Pursuit of Man. It's one of those books that you pick up, and, or at least if you're like me, you pick up and you're like, I'm going to need to read that sentence five times. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just, that he's those kind of books where you're like, that was beautiful. I don't know why it was beautiful, but it connected deep at a deep level, even though I don't understand half the words in that particular sentence, but it connected with me. You know what I'm saying? So Knowledge of the Holy um, is, is probably his most well-known book. And there's a quote in there that I've been thinking about. Honestly, I've been thinking about this quote ever since I heard it in college. It, it just has always kind of wrecked me. And this is what he says. This is how we'll, I want to start our series. He says this, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me, let me read it for you again because I want it to land. So this is A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Okay, so let's think about that statement for a second. Let's think about what Tozer is saying here, right? So Tozer is saying the most important thing about us the most important thing about us is not our family of origin, not our sexuality, not, not our ethnicity, not our finances, not our abilities, or our personal values. N none of that is the most important thing about us. Now, all those things make up who we are, and, and all those things are important. But Tozer would say, uh, the most important thing about you is what 
do you think about when you when, when God comes to your mind, what is it that you think about in that moment? It's the most important thing about you. He, he builds on this thought. He, he says this, uh, we tend by a secret law of the soul, so insightful. We tend by the secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. We move towards our mental image of God where we're able to extract from any man, if we could extract from any man, a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. He says, we, if we could take that from you, if I could sit down with you and pull from your mind what it is when you, like, really what you think about when you think about God. Not the answer you give me or, like, you know, some, like, in a real genuine moment. Tozer says, man, if we could pull that out of you, we could predict with pretty good capability your kind of spiritual future. And so we're seeing this, right, and beginning to think about, okay, this idea of God is a really important thing. Like, if we're to agree with Tozer, we're saying, yes, I'm with you in that. Like, I'm, I agree with you in that. Then this idea of kind of getting around who he is um, ultimately affects our understanding of life, of meaning, and understanding of self. This idea of God. This is why it's so important. Now, now here, um, he, here's the problem that we, we tend to have, a, a lot of us, myself included that a lot of us, if we were to get underneath your thoughts about God, you probably have some incorrect thoughts about God. I mean, right? Like if, if we were given to the, the choice to determine who he is or what he's like, here, here's, the, here's the problem, I think, as I'm thinking through this and identifying this. Uh, we typically get, if, if we're creating God in our mind, we typically get not the God of the Bible, but we get a God who looks a lot like ourselves, right? Isn't that what we, we tend to do, right? So he looks like us. He's happy with who we're happy with. He's angry with who we're angry with. He gets excited about what we get excited about. He's liberal because you're liberal. He's conservative because you're conservative. He vilifies this group because you vilify this particular group. He values this worldly standard because you value this worldly standard. Is that not true? Don't we make him... We skew him when we make him into our image instead of thinking about, oh, I'm made in his image. We skew him badly. He's disappointed in what we're disappointed with. Hear this one. Hear this one. His expectations for life, when we create him in our image, his expectations for life looks like our expectations for life. And that is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Because when those expectations are not met, when those expectations are not met, we have a problem because the God that we created in our image isn't matching up to our expectations of life. And we say to him, I thought you were good. I, I, I thought I would, like, this has been my dream and, that, and, and I'm hitting walls, and I'm not getting there. And so what, what's, the, what's the problem? Or I don't understand why I continue to kind of hit this particular barrier and this particular barrier. And I thought, man, this is a whole lot harder. These relationships are harder. This community is harder. The job's harder. The vocation's harder, right? My, sharing the God, like being, being someone following the way of Jesus in the city is harder. Being single is harder. Being, right, all of these things when we create God in our image, when the expectations of life don't match, we now have a God problem. Ultimately, here's what we do. Ultimately, 
when we don't understand God, we de-God God. We de-God him. He's more controllable. He's more sterile. He's more logical. We make him less complex, less otherworldly, less layered, right? In the end, we do what? We bring him to our level in, instead of seeking to understand him in, on his level. He's way more complex than we could ever imagine. He's way more layered than we could ever imagine. Ever imagine, but we bring him down. We, we want him what? We want him controllable and understandable. Don't we? I do. You're like, no, I like how complex and layered he is. You know, <laughs> I enjoy the mystery. No. Given a choice, man, we want to bring him down to our level and be like, hey, this is, like, if we could talk, this is how life should be going, God. You know? Like, I get, you know, suffering and difficulties for my growth, whatever, whatever. But I would love some, some just straight good life, you know? Let me try that one. So this is, this is, um, this is what we do. Dan Ortland says this. Um, I love this. He says, the Christian life, uh, from one angle, is a long journey of letting our natural assumptions about who God is over many decades fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence of who he is. This is hard work. It's hard work. Uh, this is, uh, he wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, if you, it's like an instant classic. You know what I mean? Like uh, Green Eggs and Ham. Like it's like an instant classic. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have it, you should check it out, Gentle and Lowly. But this is what he says. He says, this is the Christian life. It's working, um, it's working to replace the images that we have about God and, and replace them with the actual image of God that's very true. The God, the God of the Bible who said, um, this is who he is. I mean, this is Christian maturity. The, the journey of Christian discipleship is in, in large part the, the work of removing our incorrect understandings of God. This is what it means to be a mature Christian is to do the hard work of maturing. I mean, let's take the ministry of Jesus for a second. I mean, let's, let's look at the ministry of Jesus right now. We'll, we'll get into more of the ministry of Jesus as we progress through the, the, the series together. But look what he's doing. He's continually doing what? He's continually correcting and clarifying who God is and what the kingdom of God is like. Right? If you read the gospel stories, is Jesus ever like, you guys got it exactly right? You know, <laughs> like, did Jesus ever look at the religious leaders and go, you know what? You guys have painted a perfect picture of the Father. I, I think, you know, I think I'm good. Scotty, beam me up, right? You know, whoever, right? Beam me up. Gabriel. No. Did Jesus do that? No. He, what is he always doing with, with the disciples, with the religious leaders? Like, everyone that, that comes in, in close contact to him, uh, he, he's like, no, no. Hey, listen. He's like, there once was a man. You know, you're like, just, dude, just give it to me. He's like, there once was a man on a boat, you know, or like a man was in a field and he found a treasure, you know, you're like, and, and you're captivated by, you're like brought in by this story. You're brought in by this story. Or if you're the religious elite, this is what I love you. If you're the religious elite, you're what? You're offended by the story, are you? Like offended by the story. And then she says what? He goes, this is what our Father in Heaven is like. And you're like, Pfft. right? Hey, this is, this is, this is the kingdom of, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Isn't that what he does all the time? Why does he do that? Why, why does Jesus do that? Because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
And a lot of the work that Jesus came to do is he's working his way towards the crucifixion and the resurrection as correcting incomplete thoughts. It's almost like Jesus in his teachings, like a, um, if you had like a camera, right? You know, the uh, cameras uh, used to have like a, a focus that you would do by hand. Uh, everything is like, you know, everything is not that anymore. But uh, I guess if you still get a nice camera. But um, it's almost like Jesus is like, always continually bringing the kingdom of God, this idea of God the Father into focus for his people. As, as much of a clear as a picture as they can understand, this is, the work that, um, this is the work that Jesus is doing. And why is he doing this? This is, I think, this is the good news about this series. It's the good news about this morning. Why does he do that? The reason that he does that is, is yes, our, 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 what we think about when we think about God is important, but even more so than that, the reason I think Jesus does it is because we have a God in heaven who wants to be known. And he wants to be known by you. Can we get our mind around that for a second? The, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the sovereign God, the one who stands apart from all other, all other beings, right? He's, he's the one that has, has always been present, wants to be known by you, wants to reveal himself to you. I mean, this is a, an incredible idea. That they, they, he, he actually wants us to see him correctly. He cares. Okay, let's dive in. If you, if you have a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in Exodus 33. Uh, I think this morning is probably the clearest Old Testament picture that we have um, of God that he's going to give us um, here in Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 33. 12 and 13 is where we're going to start at. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have it. But Exodus 33, 12 and 13. Let me, let me kind of set up our text before we dive into this particular part of Exodus 33 um, and, and we get into it. So, so God's been essentially, if you, if you know a lot about the kind of the Old Testament story is, is God has rescued the Israelites uh, from the Egyptians. They, they've been uh, under the burden and, and slavery control of them. And so uh, God comes in and says, hey, I, I remember my promise to you. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to now uh, rescue you from, from bondage. You are my people. I'm your God, you're my people, so now I'm going to, um, uh, based upon my word and the covenant that I've given you, I'm going to take you from the people. And so if you, if you follow the story at all, uh, if you follow the story at all, uh, the people have done a phenomenal job of following God. So faithful um, and, you know, just with reckless abandonment, trusting him in the Old Testament. No, that's not what's happening at all. So they, they are continuously rebellious. They're continually not patient. They're right? This is just this. And we're like, how could you? And then we realize we are as well. And so, you know, this is kind of what, you know, we, we stand over them. We're like, yeah, I can't believe, you know, you have the presence of, you know, God. And we're like, you have the Holy Spirit actually. So anyways, so, um, so they're, they're, they're making idols. They're grumbling to, to Moses. They're like, bro, take us back. What have you done to us? You know, they've seen all of these miraculous things. And um, it's like my kids, like 20 minutes in the grocery store. It's, it's, this is what's happened. So, so Moses and God are having, they're having this interaction. And um, Moses is imploring God to go with them. He's saying, God, please don't leave us. Like, stay, stay present with us. Like, if you're with us, we can do this. Like, Moses is like, man, I'll, I'll have confidence if you're with us. So Exodus 33, 12 and 13. It says, Moses, Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you send with me. You said, I know you by name and you also have found favor with me. Now, if indeed we found favor with you, please teach me your ways. And here it is. Please teach me your ways and I will know you. 
teach me your ways and I will know you. And so God says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I'm, I'm for you. Moses says, I'm, I'm for you. Then look in Exodus 33, verse 18. Go down just a little bit to verse 18. Then Moses said to God, please let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. God, God says this to Moses uh, because Moses is imploring God. He says, God, let me see you. Let me see your fullness. And God does what? He says to Moses, dude, if I fully reveal myself to you, you're toast. Like you're done. Like it would be magnificent and then you would be dead. I mean, that, that's like, he said, if, if I show you the fullness of my presence, he's almost like Moses, you have no idea what you're asking for. And if I showed it to you, you would be done. You'd be done. And, and so Moses essentially says to him, um, hey, because Moses wants to be, or because God wants to be known by them, he, he's like, I can't, I can't show you my full presence. Um, he says, but, but I, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you see my back. Uh, I'll let you see my back. I'm going to go. I'm going to shield you from my full glory because I, I need you. Uh, you're not used to me if, I, if you're, you know. So I'm going to shield you and I'll let you see, um, I'll let you see my back. And, uh, and you can see my presence. Okay, so Exodus 34. Here's our anchoring text for this morning. Exodus 34, 1 through 8. We'll just, we're going to summarize this a little bit, and then we'll be done. So Moses and God have had this interaction together. Uh, they've kind of went back and forth um, in, in this interaction. Moses said, God, show me yourself. I want to see you. I want to see you. Uh, 34, verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, so having this interaction, The Lord said to Moses, Cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, right? So the Israelites were so, like God literally gave them commands. Um, he, he gave them commands to follow him, to obey him, commands that would be for their good. And Moses comes down and they, like, they weren't even patient enough, right? Literally, he's bringing the words of God on stone tablets off the mountain and he breaks them because the rebellion of the people. So God's like, okay, take the tablet. Let's, let's try this again. Let's try it again, you know. Um, he's patient like that. And it says, which you wrote, verse two, it says, prepare, be prepared by morning. Come up to Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds are not to gaze in front of the mountain. So Moses cut two stones like the first ones. Verse four, Moses cut two stones like the first one. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. All right, so he's got, he's got these 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 tablets. Verse five, the, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there. That statement right there is amazing. I mean, that's incredible. Does he come up on the mountain? It says the Lord stood with him there. He was present with him on the mountain. And then he, he continues on and it says uh, middle, uh, back into verse five and proclaimed his name, the Lord stood with Moses, proclaimed his name, the Lord. We'll look at that more in a second. Verse six, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. He's maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. You're like, amen, thank you. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Verse eight, Moses immediately knelt, knelt low on the ground and worshiped. So here it is. So God not only, listen, God not only reveals himself 
to Moses, right? He not only shows himself to Moses, but he actually tells Moses who he is. He actually gives Moses more than Moses was asking for. Do you see that? Moses just said, show me your glory. And God said, actually, I'll do better. I'll tell you who I am. I'll, I'll let you see a bit of my presence, but I'm going to verbalize who I am, my character, my, my character. This, this, is, this is actually who I am. You see that? Like uh, other than the incarnation of Christ, this is, this is probably the clearest picture that we get of who God is. I mean, even the, it, this, this text actually is, is the most quoted text in all of Scripture. It, it's the most quoted text that the Scripture uses in and of itself. So, so the biblical authors are coming back over and over again to this Exodus 34 passage. I mean, we you see places, you don't have to write this down because you can't, but um, we see this in Lamentations 3.33, Numbers 14.18, Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah 13.22, Psalm 5.8, Psalm 69.14, Psalm 86.5, Psalm uh, uh, 103.8, Psalm 145.8, Isaiah 63.7, Joel 2.13, Jonah 4.2, Nahum 1.3. Over and over again, the biblical authors keep coming back to this particular passage. Why? Because it's the clearest picture of the God that, that, that was with the people. He says, this is exactly who I am. And so look, God says what? He says, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in love, I'm truthful, I'm forgiving rebellion and sin, I'll punish the guilty, I will enact justice. He said, this is, this is, this is who I am, Moses. All right, three, three observations. Let me give you three observations. You can write them down if you're taking notes. And then we'll be done. Here's observation number one. Observation number one. Uh, God brackets who he is in personal terms, not power terms. God brackets who he is in personal terms, not power terms. What do I, um, what do I mean by that? Okay, so um, if we're looking at, so in Exodus 33, 5, um, in Exodus 33, 5, we looked at that passage. It says, the Lord came down in a cloud. He stood with him there, proclaimed his name, the Lord. So he says, my name is the Lord, so God gives Moses his name. Now, if, if, you, if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, 13 and 15, hang in here for a second. It's a little nuanced, but, but I think we can get it. So Exodus 3, uh, 13 and 15, um, I want you to look at this interaction between God and Moses. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. So this is the burning bush moment here. He says, if I go to him, the God of your answers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? What should I tell them? Who, who is sending me? Verse 14 of Exodus 3, it says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. If you're going to go to him, you're going to tell him who sent you. You tell them I am. I am has, has sent you. Now, literally, we, obviously, we, there's, there's always translation move from Hebrew to English, from Greek to, um, Greek to English. So there's always some nuance here. But essentially says, what God is saying to Moses is, you tell him to be is my name. The being one. The constant one. The one who always was. This is who I am. To be, I am, I am. You, you tell them that that's who, who, 
who sent you. Th this is what you're to, to say to them, the, the one who always was. Okay, so, so I want you to hang in there for a second. Exodus 3, to be. So he says, I am. This is who I am. This is my memorial name forever is, is this. This is who I am. Okay, so we've got this. Now go back to Exodus 33, 5. And it says, the Lord came down in the clouds, stood there with him, proclaimed his name, the Lord. So it's the Lord. Oh, okay, so here, here's, here's what it is. Because this, um, this will help clarify this kind of power dynamics versus personal dynamics. This, this kind of back and forth. So God didn't actually say to Moses, I want you to get this. God didn't actually say to, to Moses, hi, my name is the Lord. Right? Like, that's not, that's actually not what, what, I mean, that would be a bit strange, right? That's like, if you came up to me, uh, if you came up to me and you were meeting me and I said, hi, good to meet you. I'm the pastor. Right? You would think, and I'm going somewhere else. I'm out of here. Why? Because that, 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 that feels a little strange. It feels a little formal, doesn't it? Like, I am, hi, I am the engineer. I am the nurse right? I'm the student. I mean, that, that's just a straight, like that would be, if you were introducing yourself, that would not feel, you wouldn't be like, oh, I really, I really would like to hang out with you. You know, you seem like a great guy, girl. I was, yeah. Is that what we call you? You know, that's, so this is not what God said to him. God didn't literally say to him, uh, he didn't literally say to him, the Lord. So, so what was actually said here is something close to the word Yahweh. We're, we're assuming it's Yahweh. We don't, we don't exactly know, but you're probably familiar with that word if you've been around church at all. But, um, but, but the, the word translation is Yahweh. And anytime Yahweh in the Old Testament, it's always translated the Lord. But what God is actually doing, because Yahweh means he is. So if, you're, if, if God is speaking, he's I am to be. If you are translating it, you would say he is, which is Yahweh. So what God is actually doing, hear this. What God is actually doing is, he's just saying to Moses, to be, remember, to be is sending you. The, the, the present one, the constant one, the one who always was is sending you. He's kicking back to that memorial name, that, that, that intimate name that was happening between God and Moses. This, this is essentially um, what, what he is doing. We, we tend to lose that, right? Because this, this, is, this is more personal, this I am to be. This is, this is what we would do. Okay, so he's using, um, he's using personal dynamics, not, uh, not power dynamics. And then here, here's, a second, here's a second relational aspect that we see. So we're kind of balancing this idea. The, the second relational aspect that we see is, is God doesn't do what? He doesn't reveal himself to Moses, and he doesn't say to him, I am infinite, I'm eternal. Right, I'm omnipresent. I'm uh, omnipotent. I'm I'm self-existent. I'm right. He doesn't come, He doesn't go to Moses and say, "I'm everywhere. I'm sovereign. I'm you know." That's that's not what he. I mean, this is the this is God revealing Himself to His people. This is what they're going to be going back to, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And and what does He? How does He? Has He say? How does He introduce Himself to them? They're they're all what? They're all relational terms. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. In truth, I'm truthful. I, I'll maintain my love. I'll pursue justice. I'll forgive sin and rebellion. Do you see that? 
These are all really, he could have introduced himself anyway, right? He could have said to Moses, you tell them the God of the universe, who is every, I see their minds right now. <laughs> no, he says, this is who I am, Moses. You wanna know who I am? I'm loving, compassionate, patient. You, you tell them this is who I am. Do you see that? You see the relational nature of our God? This, this desire that he, he's saying? Ideally, by the end of this series, by the next four weeks together, you'll see that the, the God that we follow is a very relational God. He's a God who has a desire to be in relationship with you. Yeah, he's holy. He's everywhere. He's sovereign, 100%. Those are all very true things. But he wants, he wants to be known by you. All right, second thing. I'll move along quickly. Second thing. Uh, right revelation of God. Right revelation of God results in appropriate worship of God. Look at Exodus 33, verse 8. What does it say, Moses? Moses does what? When God reveals himself, what does Moses do? He does what? He's like, does he pack it up and go home? He's like, all right, got, I got my orders, got my call. Let me take a few notes here. And then I'm, no, verse 8, what does it say? It says, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. You see, um, if you can get a right view of God, like if you can, if you can identify where, he, where you view him incorrectly, like where you've made him in his image. Like if you can weigh through all of this, you know what will happen? You'll see him more clearly and the result of seeing him more clearly will be to worship him more passionately. Why? Because he's better than you ever could have imagined. He's better than you ever could have imagined. This is like, this is who he is. I mean, the goal of this series, right? We wanna clarify who God is, um, we're not doing it, we're not clarifying who God is so that you'll be a better Christian. We're, we're, not, we're not clarifying, we, like we don't want everyone to understand God rightly so that we can more rightly defend the faith. You know, that's not why we're trying. We're like, no, actually, God, uh, no, that's, not, that's not why we're doing the series so you can defend it. We're not primary, we don't primarily need to understand his character so that we can be less prone to sin, so that we can love our neighbors well or so that we can be more faithful to the way of Jesus. The goal of the series is worship. It's worship. That, that's what happens when you see God clearly. When you see him clearly, you respond by falling on your face because he's better than you would have imagined. So right revelation of God results in appropriate worship of God. Third and final thing, and then I'll pray. This is such good news, man. In Jesus, hear this, in Jesus, we get the full of what Moses could only get in part. In Jesus, we get the full of what only Moses could get in part. So God said what to Moses? He said, I'll, I would smoke you if you saw my full presence. Like I would smoke you, you'd be over, it, would be done. You, 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 would be, you would be finished. You could not, you couldn't handle it. Now, now think about this. Think about the relationship of God and Moses. Hang in there, right here, right here. And Moses is face to face with God. He's speaking on behalf of God. He's communicating to God. He's on a mountain. There's like, you know, cloud day, fire by night situation. Do you know what I'm saying? Tent of meeting. Like Moses literally set up a tent of meeting uh, that, that Moses would go to. And it was so good that like Joshua just wouldn't leave. He's just in there. He's just, I, I just want to be in the presence of God. Think about that relationship. That's the relationship. And Jesus gives us the fullness 
of what only Moses could have in part. What he could only have in part. His Moses and God's relationship was always going to be what? It was always going to be veiled. It was never going to be a complete picture. It, it wasn't possible. Listen to how John begins his gospel. Um, I love the gospel account of John. It's like this, like, you know, all the, the they're all great. Um, but I just, just, you know, love them all. Um, you know, I love them all. I think John, John's gospel is cool. Um, okay, I love how he, he words things. Listen to how John begins his, John begins um, his gospel. This is John 1, 1 through 4. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 2. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him was not one thing that was not created that has not been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now verse 14, look at verse 14, uh, 14 and 18 of John 1. Listen to what it says about Jesus there. John's using the Greek word logos there, but it actually means he's talking about Jesus, the word. Verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We have what? We've observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father full of grace and truth. This is what John says, verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God. You've never seen the fullness. No one's ever seen the fullness of God. The, he says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side. He has revealed him. He's revealed him. J Jesus in John 17 Listen to the way Eugene Peterson, he's, he's uh, I'm going to get a Eugene Peterson quote in almost every Sunday. If I can find it, it's going to go in there. Listen to what he says. He, he translated the, the, the message. This is John 17, 6. I'm going to pray and then we'll be done. But, but I love the way he translates this. This is, this is Jesus saying this. He says, I have spelled out your character in detail. John 17, 6. The, 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 the normal translation is, I've revealed your name to the people that you gave me from the world. But Eugene translates it, I have spelled out your character in detail. When they see me, Jesus is saying, when they see me, they see the Father. This is who I am. You see, the beauty and honestly the shock of the incarnation of Christ is that this God would come to earth would walk our streets, would minister among the poor and the marginalized, would rebuke the, the, the spiritual and religious elites, that Jesus would leave, that the second person of the Trinity would leave the throne of heaven and be among us. That is, that is the, the nature of our God and it's the desire of our God to be known by you. This is what it is. And so maybe you're here this morning and, um, and maybe you've had incorrect thoughts about God. Maybe this morning you just need to say to God, man, I'm sorry. I, man, I've just been thinking about you in these kind of like, you know, uh, kind of just primarily mystic terms. Like I've just, I don't think about you as someone who wants to be known by me and someone who wants to be in closeness to me. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're like, you just need, we're just going to give you some space here in a second. Just say, God, man, I'm sorry. That's how I've been operating with you. I've not been operating like we're in a relationship together. 
if you're someone who identifies as a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here, you're not a follower of Christ, you're just kind of, you're around. Maybe for you, you need to lean into and, and trust Jesus. That he was this perfect image. We're, man, the next four weeks, we'll look at that in deep. We're going to look at him more in detail in paralleling with this Exodus 34 passage. But maybe you're here and you need to trust Christ. Um, you need to trust Christ this morning. We'll, we'll have people afterwards that will be up front to, to pray with you as well.